the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Old-fashioned radio For a new generation The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com from the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour has worked for many years at the highest levels of the independent film production and distribution business. Um, But that's not what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about uh, her new book, which is uh, called Leonard, Marianne, and Me. And uh, her name is Judy Scott. She joins me by phone. Um, Oh, I didn't get the whole title in. Um, It's... uh, Leonard, Marianne, and me, Magical Summers on Hydra. That makes a little more sense. Anyway, (laughs) Judy joins me by phone. Hi, Judy. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Good morning. Well, it's morning where I am anyway. Well, and it's it's morning where we are, so we're we're in sync. Um, We're in the same time zone. Now, let's see. This book... um, 
You actually did one of those things that a lot of us fantasize about. You um, took off on a trek through Europe, and then you ended up spending the summer on uh, Hydra, a Greek island. And that ended up being a place where lots of creative types were drawn to there. And it and and it attracted you as well um but the the book talks about your relationship with Leonard Cohen and his significant other Marianne yes and did that did that develop that very first time you were there that that first summer well, they had been in a relationship since 1961 on the island of Idra, and um, I was there actually when, the very last time that they were together on the island of Idra. Um, they had been in and out of a relationship for about 13 years, 11 years, something like that, and um, Leonard was already involved and had a child with another woman uh, in Montreal, uh, living in Montreal. Her name was Suzanne Elrod, um, and she actually changed her name um, from her birth name, which was Susan, uh, to Suzanne, so that everybody would think he wrote the song about her. Uh, he, actually, <laughs> he actually wrote the song three years before he ever met her, That's... but um, now and forever uh, she is known as Suzanne, and uh, they had a son who was two years old in 1973 when I uh, met them and got involved with Leonard and his first, um, so to speak, wife. He never was legally married to anyone, but he referred to her as his wife and also as his muse. And he did write an, a very, a, an enormous amount of songs while living on and off for those 11 years on the island of Idra. And uh, he dedicated or uh, was inspired by Mariana to to write a lot of his really most famous material. Um, uh, so Long Marianne, Hey, That's No Way to Say Goodbye, One of Us Cannot Be Wrong, um, a lot of the uh, early uh, songs that he's known for. And, and I have to uh, thank you very quickly here for not correcting me, but yet teaching me how to pronounce Idra. It's kind of a joke on Idra because the tourists call it Hydra, but the natives, because in Greek, it, in Greek letters, it's Y-D-R-A, and it's pronounced Idra by everyone who actually lives there or stays there for any length of time. Well, that was very well done. I, I learned something, and I wasn't embarrassed, so it's, it's all good. Um, how do you just, I mean... Even though you were living there for this summer, how do you just meet Leonard Cohen? Well, it, it was just <laughs> pure luck and serendipity. I was living there with, um, as the guest of a Greek man, the man that the book is dedicated to. He's passed on now. And uh, he, uh, his name was George Lealios, was a very, very close friend of, uh, of Leonard's. And I met George um, after only being on Idra for about three or four days, I met him at a taverna having lunch uh, with a, a group of friends, and they very um, courteously asked me to join them, which I did. And uh, we had a wonderful uh, and extended lunch. 
with baked fish and uh, copious amounts of white wine. And when it was over, they, uh, George invited me to come up to his house. His house was literally a mansion. It was a 17-room mansion high up on the side of the hill overlooking the harbor and the sea. Um, it had a ballroom that uh, that had marble floors and a 30-foot ceiling. It was really the nicest house I think I had ever been in up till that time. Anyway, they they he invited me to come up and have some more wine with them, watch the sunset, and I did. Um, and while I was in his house, all the rest of them had gone off to take showers. I was sitting in the living room by myself, and a knock came at the door, and the maid answered the door, and in walked this very lovely Norwegian woman, um, who I found out was named Marianne, actually Mariana is uh, the Norwegian pronunciation, and that's what everyone, including Leonard, called her, Mariana. Um, she came in to use the telephone, poured herself a glass of wine, we sat down and chatted, and she told me a little bit of her history and said, well, I've lived on this island for about 11 years, on and off, with um, a folk singer, uh, maybe you've heard of him, his name is Leonard Cohen, and I was like, oh my God. because <laughs> It's not just any my, folk singer. Yeah, he was one of my absolute all-time favorites. I knew I had both of his albums at that time. I knew all of his songs. I sang his songs um, to myself frequently. And so all of a sudden the island got much more interesting to me. Um, she made her phone call, and she got up to leave, and I walked her to the door, and uh, she said, you should stay here. Come and visit me. You know, my house is very close by. And I said, I think I'm leaving tomorrow. And she just kind of looked me up and down and said, don't leave. This is a very special place. You belong here. Wow. And I And I thought, wow, that's... That's interesting. And in this, at the same time, the same evening, George, whose friends were all leaving, his company was leaving the next day, invited me to come and stay with him. Um, he said, I'm doing some painting and remodeling, and if you would help me out, you can, you can just come and stay here. And so I did. <laughs> I just packed up my bag from the little pension on the port that I was staying in and told my friends who I was with, I'm not going to be going on to Istanbul with you, I'm going to stay here. And I stayed for the summer, and uh, I planned to leave a couple of times, but uh, then I heard through Mariana, um, who I got to know very, very well, that Leonard was coming, and uh, and he arrived, and, and I was, nothing could have made me leave at that point. Were you? Uh, was everyone speaking Greek? Uh, no, everyone was speaking English. George was um, upper-class Greek. Uh, he actually was born in Germany. His first language was German, and he was absolutely fluent in German, French, English, and Greek, as are most of the wealthy Greeks. So was everyone speaking English on the, uh, uh, on the island, or, or just the circle that you spent time with well pretty much um this uh, the i mean there was a fairly large expat community on idra um about 300 of the 3,000 uh residents of idra were foreigners um and all of them spoke english although some of them were german some of them were australian some of them were french but they all spoke english and all of the merchants who were involved with um the uh foreigners, the tourists, basically, they all spoke English, too. The rest of the Greek um, population didn't. They, you know, they were very indigenous and 
they did not speak English, but all of the people who had to I- interact with the English speakers did speak English. Now, Leonard Cohen was not the only so-called celebrity that that was drawn to Idra. Oh, no. I mean, there's all kinds. Jack, Jacqueline Onassis Kennedy had been there. Uh, Yoko Ono and John Lennon had been there. Um, there was a, a fairly well-known movie that was uh, filmed there in the 50s with uh, Sophia Loren and Alan Ladd uh, called Boy on a Dolphin. Um, it was a very uh, popular um, and kind of well-known because of its beauty and its accessibility. It was quite easy to get to Idra in comparison to, say, Mykonos or Santorini, which required uh, overnight ferries. Uh, Idra was only three hours by ferry from Athens. And so it was, uh, and and it was, besides being incredibly beautiful, it was the only Greek island um, that had no cars at all. Um, There was no automated transportation, no motorcycles, no buses, just donkeys and boats and your feet. Now, the relationship that you had with with Leonard and with Marianne um, has been described as as intimate. How intimate? Well, it was more a familial um, relationship, although I did have a very um, close emotional affair uh, with Mariana. Uh, I'm gay. So, um, and, and she knew that, um, and she had had, uh, she had had relationships with both men and women. Um, in the book, I actually licensed one of uh, Leonard's early poems from a book called uh, The Energy of Slaves, and in the poem that I licensed, which kind of gave insight into his approach or his uh, understanding of Mariana, um, there, there's a line that goes... Um, she does not want this to come from me. I believe she longs for a woman. Um, and they will uh, stroll the, the harbor together smoking Turkish cigarettes and wearing white flannel trousers. So it's a, it's a very evocative poem, but it, it kind of made the point that I was making, which was that she was emotionally available um, to pr- pretty much anyone that she was interested in. And I was just lucky enough to be one of those people. And as far as Leonard was concerned, I mean, we we had an intimate relationship in terms of conversations and and disclosures and things of that nature. I mean, he, he was very open about his relationship with um, with her and and with Suzanne and um, my grandchildren are in the background <laughs> screaming. Um, I thought that and, was here. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think that's my five-year-old grandson screaming. But anyway, sorry for that. Oh, um, no, no anyways, apology we, necessary. We did not have a sexual relationship. We had a very intimate friendship. And, uh, and at one point, which is in the book, uh, Mariana says to me, um, it sometimes scares me so much so how much you are integrated into our family. Leonard, uh, her son, Axel, who I was very close to, he was 13 at the time, but very mature, um, because there weren't a lot of children on Idra, so he was around adults most of his time. Me and her, we, we ate dinner together every day. More memories of Leonard Cohen, Mariana, and summers on the Greek island of Idra from Judy Scott's memoir, Straight Ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You know, you've always got great questions and you know the material and you, and you care about it and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. Hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Hello. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. More memories of Leonard Cohen, Mariana, and summers on the Greek island of Idra from Judy Scott's memoir, Straight Ahead. Uh, I spent a lot of time in Leonard's uh, office studio where he did most of his writing and uh, singing with him and uh, just, you know, talking. So you were very close to Leonard as well. Yes, I was. And and he was extremely kind to me. Um, he told me at one point, because I really wanted to do singing, um, he said, Judy, you sing as good as any backup singer I've ever had. Um, I can send you to Clive Davis, who at that time was the head of Columbia Music. Um, and for reasons um, that to this very day I, I, I could not fathom or explain, I said, oh, thank you, Leonard, but I really think I have to make it on my own. Um, and I don't know whether, uh, in the book I, I mentioned that, I don't know whether it was fear of success or fear of failure, but um, I did. I never got introduced to Clive Davis, and I never really succeeded uh, as, a, as a singer. But um, in the end, I also put in the book, I'm perfectly happy with my life the way it unfolded, so um, it probably was meant to be. Was was Leonard Cohen um, aware of his celebrity and and how profound it was for some people? He certainly was very successful at that point in 1973. Um, he had written, you know, Chelsea Hotel about Janis Joplin. He he had uh, he'd been on several tours. He was probably more. Um, popular in Europe than he and in Canada of course which is where he's from than in the US but he certainly was worldwide renowned at that point and um and another conversation that we had where I was saying I think I have to leave cuz I'm running out of funds he said Judy I have money if you know if you want to stay and that's your only problem I can give you some money and I said I can't take your money Leonard but thank you but he you know, he was fairly wealthy and well-known at that point. Was this a place where, um, and I'm talking about the island of Idra, was it a place where celebrity was drawn but not celebrated? I think you're right about that. Um, you know, I, I think at one point I said to Leonard, um, Idris is just a, it's such a magical place that, you know, I'm not really an American here, and George is not really a Greek here, and you're not really a Jew here. You know, we're just all residents of, of Idra. But he did correct me. He said, oh, no, Judy, I'm a Jew. I am always a Jew. And uh, he wrote a poem right afterwards. I'm, it might have been uh, inspired by that conversation, but the, it was a very short poem, and it just said, anyone who says I'm not a Jew is not a Jew. So, um, but but celebrities came often and were completely, I won't say ignored, but their privacy was very respected. And there was, you know, we didn't have paparazzi in those days. There were no, um, there was no radio on Idra. There was no television on Idra. There, there was no press on Idra. So you could be there and be, um, you know, fairly uh, un- unnoticed. It was what we would call now off the grid. Exactly, and that's one of the that was one of the attractive features that you know it, it was just its own little um, 
uh, environment, and um, and it was it, it was very it was it was kind of contradictory because it was very peaceful, very quiet, especially with no cars. Um, but it was also very energizing and um, inspiring, and and there there was a lot of energy that just seemed to come from the 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 ground itself, the the island itself. Which is why I think there were so many creative people there. Also, there was the Greek light, um, which was very pure on Idra. Again, because there was, you know, there was no smoke, there was no exhaust, there was no, um, in, there was no uh, interference in the in the atmosphere. So um, the light was very pure, and and that it actually was called the Greek light, and it uh, it attracted painters and, and artists. How did you how did you ever leave? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> I did actually run out of money or low on money anyway and um and and so I did leave uh, reluctantly but um and and I said well I'm, you know I'm going to go back to the states and work some more and make some more money and come back but um but I did have to leave toward the end of the summer and uh and, and the, in the book, it, there's a very touching um, scene between Mariana and I, where she walked me down to the uh, to the boat, to the ferry boat. We were sitting in the harbor, waiting for it to arrive, and uh, she was looking out at, at the boats, at the yachts mostly, and and she said, "I guess you know I love you," and that was just so impactful for me. That was, that was just so emotional. Um, and I said, well, I guess you know I love you too. And she just laughed and she said, oh yeah, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> and we managed um, to stay in touch for a very long time. Uh, the book has our entire correspondence, um, or most of it. Uh, I was very fortunate because her uh, executor um, gave me back all of my letters that I had sent to her. Mariana kept every every piece of correspondence she oh, wow. ever got. And she she got a lot of correspondence. And um, including Leonard's letters, which, by the way, were um, auctioned off with his estate's um, permission because they needed it. They Christie's uh, auction in New York auction house auctioned off, I think, 62 lots of his letters to Mariana. And the auction house estimated that they were probably going to be worth between eighty and ninety thousand dollars. And the auction actually. Um, garnered for Axel, um, young Axel, who is not young anymore. Uh, they sold for eight hundred and thirty thousand dollars. Wow! And that was just last year. Wow! So um, I'm, I was very happy because um, Axel is um, has mental problems, and he's uh, he's been in a mental hospital for pretty much all of his adult life. So that money uh, came. Sorry, that's my call waiting came in very handy for him so um everyone was really shocked that those letters were worth 10 times what christie's estimated they were going to be sold for but in any case that the estate gave me back my letters and gave me written permission to print uh, mariana's letters to me which i i kept so we were able to keep in touch for quite a long time just uh via the mail and then later emails which unfortunately i didn't save and finally, Facebook. 
um, and I helped her set up her Facebook account. She, she contacted me and said, "Do I have to? Do I have to like all these people? Do I have to have all these friends?" <laughs> I said, "No, no, no. Facebook sends those suggestions to you. You don't have to have. You don't have to accept them." So she's, "Oh, good. I don't even know who these people are." That's funny. Um, yeah, but Did we finally met again on, on in 2011 on Idra. So I was, was going to ask if you ever made it back because a lot of times people will have, you know, that that magical summer and they may stay in touch as you did, but then when you go back, it doesn't feel the same. Oh, I went back probably 25 times over the last 42 years. Really, um, I went back. As often as I could get the money up to to go, I loved traveling. I absolutely loved Idria. I called it my spiritual home, and uh, I went back with my daughter, uh, as you probably read in the book. In 1975, I went back to stay for six months, uh, which is the longest single period I was ever there. And while I was there during that period, I met a young American who was uh, traveling and was a mutual friend of some friends of mine in Athens, and he came out and stayed with me at the house I rented, and I became pregnant, and uh, my daughter was started on Idra, um, so we call her an Idra kid, but she was born in New Jersey, which is where I'm from, and uh, when she was six, we went back, I got together with my partner, and when she was eight, we all went together for a couple of months, and I've gone, my partner and I, back pretty much every two years since then. And is the magic still there every time you visit? I mean, when you step off the the boat, is it like being right back in that same mindset? I would have to say emphatically, although some things have changed, um, the answer is yes. It's, It's a magical place. It's an ancient place. So even the modern conveniences and, and some of the superficial changes don't really change the atmosphere. It's still um, a really magical, beautiful, um, inspiring place to be. Now that that you've written this book, well, what prompted you to write this book and share this story? Not everyone well, would. I, yeah. Well, I kept journals while I was there, and, and um, so I had the makings of a, a pretty good memoir. And as I explain in the, in the preface of the book, I was approached by another writer. Um, he teaches at Harvard. He's an American. And he was putting together a kind of compendium of an, a number of people that I knew and their recollections or their memoirs or their journals. Um, they were each to be about 30, 35 pages. And he approached me because he knew I had uh, some material and asked me if I would join them. And um, because the only thing that Leonard Cohen asked me when we became friends, um, and I was intending to do some writing on Idra, the only thing he asked me was, please don't write about us. And for 40 years, I, I never did. But once I got approached by Kevin uh, McGrath, that's his name, um, I contacted Leonard and I because we always stayed in email contact with one another and I explained the situation and I said uh, I'm going to send you the memoir and if uh, if you have any uh, objections if you want any edits or if you want me to just not participate I would respect the fact that you that you asked us you asked me not to write about you so uh, I sent it to him as an attachment, and he wrote me back the next day, which was really wonderful. And he said, 
Dear Judy, thank you for sharing this very fine piece of work for which I have no objections whatsoever. And uh, so I thought, well, that's great. And he went on to say, I really admire the detail and honesty of the piece. Um, and it was so it was so pleasant to, to revisit some of our old mutual friends who are all also in the memoir. And I thought, maybe I really have something here. So I decided not to participate um, in what became a self-published um, journal called Idra Stories and to extend it and write a little bit more, which eventually, through my agent and my editor, became about a 240-page memoir. And when did this... When did or does this book drop, as they say? Uh, July 1st. Oh, okay, so it's it's out soon and probably can be ordered, I imagine, already? Yes, it's in pre-sales on Amazon, on Walmart, on Target, and at Barnes & Noble. Now, you were keeping a journal, um, and, and I noticed you had spent some time involved in uh well you helped launch the first ever lgbt cable tv network yes um, it was called here here did, tv have you done a lot of writing is or is this your first book this is my first book um i've written a couple of screenplays i'd like to say they got produced but they didn't um <laughs> most I've, don't I've judy as you know <laughs> There are yes. lots of screenplays out there, and, and good ones, but yes. they don't all get made. Yes. In my capacity in the film business, um, I was the head of acquisitions at a, a number of companies, and, um, and I was on the creative committee. So I've probably read over the last 30 years over 1,000 scripts, and less than 10% of them actually got produced. Yeah. And and not not for not wanting, but for uh, a whole myriad of reasons, I imagine. Absolutely. I mean, sometimes it's just a matter of bad timing. Sometimes it's a script that's very similar to one that's to a pro, uh, production that's already being done. Um, there's all kinds of reasons, notwithstanding the fact that uh, a lot of them aren't very good, but uh, and <laughs> a lot of them are. <laughs> oh, go on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it's the same with finished films right now, especially with digital filmmaking uh, pretty much being the exclusive um, modem right now. Um, right now, there's f about 4,000 movies a year that are submitted, for instance, to Sundance, um, out of which they choose less than 400 to program into the Sundance Film Festival, which I've gone to for 17 years until I retired. Um, and out of those 400, probably somewhere between 10 and 20% actually get picked up by a distributor to, to be uh, publicly distributed. Now, with this, with this book um, done and, and on its way out to us, um, do you have the bug to write some more? I do. Um, you know, it's, it's a you know that you write what you know, and everybody writes you know about their youth and their family, and <laughs> you know I like Tolstoy's uh, all all happy families are happy in the same way, but every unhappy family is unhappy 
uniquely or differently. And mine was like that, too. Big Irish Catholic family. Um, I have 32 first cousins. Um, (laughs) Again, Irish Catholic. (laughs) Lots of kids. But, uh, yeah, I've actually started on another kind of memoir. And if this one does well, I might be able to, you know, get my publisher to put out something else. By the way, the the uh, the memoir with Leonard and Mariana has 55 photos in it, um, several of him, several of her, that have never been seen before publicly because I took them. Oh, so from my, interesting. Yeah, they're from my private collection. Well, that's wonderful. Yeah. You know, Judy, I... I um this is such a fascinating story, and, and you talk about lots of people write about, you know, their their youthful adventures, but not everybody writes about meeting Leonard Cohen and spending time with him on a magical island called Idra. Um, but this is, you know, such a fun story, and, and it's such a, an interesting look at people who are well-known and yet not very well-known. I'll tell you that his um, his executor and lawyer, Robert Corey, and I had lunch because the family had a couple of things that they... They, they had, of course, the copy that I sent to Leonard um, after his death. Uh, they, they got uh, a hold of it, and there were a couple of things that they wanted me to edit out um, of, you know, sort of intimate... Um, uh, material and I, I said sure and I asked Robert Corey you know what did you think of it and he said it really gave me an insight into a Leonard that I didn't know because I didn't meet him until about 10 years ago which Leonard was then in his early 70s and he said and you really gave such a great picture of what Leonard was like at the age of 38 so um, I'd like to include your your piece in the uh, archive that I'm setting up at the University of Toronto of all of Leonard's materials. So that was uh, really encouraging and, and really flattering to me. Yeah, I would think that'd be a bit of an honor. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> well, it has been an honor for me to spend a little time with you. I've, I, I feel like I've spent time with Leonard and Mariana <laughs> <laughs> through you, um, which is really the point of the book. It's uh, uh, it's called, once again, uh, Leonard, Mariana, and Me, Magical Summers on Idra by Judy Scott, my uh, my guest this hour. Judy, um, thanks for sharing some of your story with me and the listeners and, of course, in the, in the book. Um, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find about find out more about you and and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website? I actually don't, um, but I'm uh, I'm on Facebook um, almost every day. Another addict, and uh, and I'm very available there, so they can they can find me there, and all you know all kinds of things about me. My life is an open book, as you probably can tell from from the memoir. Well, Judy, thanks again, and uh, and keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Tom. Thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Take care. Uh huh. Bye bye. Once again, that was uh, Judy Scott, the uh, author of a memoir called Leonard, Mariana, and Me, Magical Summers on Idra. And we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. (laughs) 
that David played, and it pleased the Lord. But you don't really care for music, do you? It goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, the major lift, the baffled king composing a Guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. 
and now, and now too, and even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places. So be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You know, you've always got great questions and you know the material and you, and you care about it and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods. And in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. 
I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is your Hollywood reporter, Don Hinckley, at the premiere of what is probably the most talked about motion picture of all time the story of the great love between the handsome Roman general and the Egyptian queen. We're hoping to interview the beautiful star of this epic. And, oh, I, I, I think we're in luck. Yes, yes, we are in luck. Here comes that great beauty now. Excuse me, would you like to say hello to your millions of fans? My name, Jose Iman. <laughs> hello to your millions of fans. <laughs> Of course, uh, everyone here knows the name of your picture, but I'm sure you'd like to mention it again. The name of my picture is Digit Goes Egyptian. <laughs> I always thought the uh, title of the picture was Cleopatra. Oh, no, no, no. Cleopatra is the name of our coming attraction. <laughs> coming attraction? That's right. Well, that picture cost $40 million. That's nothing. I was cost $100,000. Well, that's not so much. For a ticket? <laughs> you, do you mean that you're charging $100,000 for one ticket? Why, I couldn't afford to see that picture. Would you like a free pass? <laughs> yes, I would. That'll uh, be $10,000. <laughs> How much did the picture actually cost to make? Including lunches. <laughs> why, why should lunches be so expensive? Do you know what it costs to smuggle corned beef into Egypt? <laughs> I guess costumes uh, must have cost you a fortune. Oh, costumes, my goodness. They... Costumes alone cost $50 million. I imagine uh, Cleopatra's costume was the most expensive. No, there we saved money. <laughs> Eight yards of saran wrap and some beads was all, all didn't, we needed for that. Didn't they uh, try to save money at all? Yes, we tried to save money at all. For example, one time we had this thing, you know, that was going on, in a beautiful alabaster hall. And we had 30,000 dancing girls running around. And we had 20,000 musician people playing golden harps. And we had 40,000 slave girls pouring wine. Well, how did that save money? We used paper cups. <laughs> uh... That must have been the famous orgy scene? No, that was the famous coffee break. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, we swung on a set there. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I gotta tell you one thing. That the picture has a surprised ending. So nobody will be seated during the last five hours. Well, it's obviously a very long movie, but uh, yes. do you plan to have intermissions? Yes, one intermission. Wednesday. <laughs> You guys can take Wednesday off. You mean the show lasts a whole week? Yes, if you see the cartoon. Cartoon? Yes, Ben-Hur. (laughs) 
Mickey Mouse plays Ben and Minnie plays her. <laughs> exactly how long have you been uh, working on this picture? Well, quite a while, because we had a delay one time. We had to lay off on account of the noise. What noise? World War II. <laughs> we had those tiger tanks going there. We were straight. It was really terrible, and then it was these guys with the pointed helmets. Jose. <laughs> Maybe it was World War One, man. Huh? <laughs> Sir, let's talk about your co-star's salary. I understand it's an astronomical figure. She certainly has. <laughs> I, you I, notice I, that. Yeah, I'm talking you? about I'm her salary. I'm glad to see your observe. Oh, your, her salary. Yes. Yes, yes. Well, you talk about what you want to talk about, and I'll talk about what I want. I understand that she makes $8,000 a day. Now, that's more than most people isn't make in a year. Isn't that something? $8,000 a day. Yeah. It's a lot of Boy, money. Sure. But is she really happy? Boy, is she happy. <laughs> You never heard such giggling in your life. It comes from that girl on payday, and you can hear it all the way across the street. But, Jose, yes. money doesn't buy happiness. No, but for $8,000 a day, you could rent it. Now that you've mentioned your beautiful co-star, I wonder if you'd answer the question the whole world is asking. I would be delighted to, as long as they don't ask it at once. Let them ask you one at a time. Let's start with India, if you like, right. there's a lot of people over there. The question is, yes. are you going to marry your co-star? I would have to say it this time, and you can quote me on this, and I don't care if you quote me word for word and even better. I will marry the woman I love. You will? I always do. <laughs> I don't know what I could tell you about how much I love her. I would climb the top of the highest mountain. I would crawl on my little belly across all the desert and the hot desert, and I would go across the most ragging rivers for her. When will you see her next? Tonight, if it doesn't rain. <laughs> Listen, you know, I got my good toga on. I don't want to spoil it. Jose, what would you say was your biggest problem in the picture? I would say my biggest problem in the picture was the asp. The uh, asp? Yes. You mean the snake? Yes, the snake asp, yes. <laughs> you see, that is snake. Had to come around and hug Cleopatra real tight and coil around her and come up and bite her right on the neck, you see? And it was my job to teach that asp how to do that. So, so, so what's wrong with that? He got it right the first time. I told him nobody likes a smart asp. <laughs> This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. I don't know how much I love you 
never know how much I care. Oh, if it's your around me, I get a fever as to how to bear. You give me fever. Oh, when you kiss me, when you hold me tight, when you do me right. Fever, fever in the morning, and fever all through the long hot night. Sunlights of the daytime, and the moonlights of the night. Oh, light up when you're calling, you're calling my name. I know you're gonna treat me right. You give me fever, baby. Oh, when you kiss me, when you hold me tight, and when you do me right. Fever, baby, in the morning, and fever all through the long hot night. Hey, hey, hey. it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program wraps it up for the week I hope you have a great weekend thanks to all of my guests today on the show including uh, Judy Scott talking about uh, Leonard Cohen and more in her memoir Leonard Mariana and me magical summers on Idra and uh, also to uh, Dr. Michael Crupain talking about the cookbook the what you eat when cookbook and our musical guest J.P. Ribner. Tom's Good night, everybody. is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.